0: Welcome to Digital Marketing Happy Hour, a podcast about marketing, technology, and life. If you've ever wondered how to be an influencer to grow your brand, or what social media platform is best for influencer marketing, today's guest will give you the steps you need and the mindset you need to have in order to be an influencer. He's a great guy, and we had a lot of fun making this. Lucky episode number 13 coming at you right now.
1: Digital Marketing Happy Hours brought to you by Araxum, your resource for marketing and technology. For more information, go to araxum.com. That's A-R-A-X-A-M mcom So... Normally, we'd do a little bit of an intro, but today we have another jam-packed episode for you on this week's episode of Digital Marketing Happy Hour. As Chris mentioned, we have an industry insider who's been in this influencer game for over 20 years now. He's full of energy. He has a ton of stories that I think we all will be able to relate to, but the best thing is he's going to drop Tons of actionable knowledge that you will need if you're building your personal brand on social media. So, Chris, let's bring him in.
0: On today's Happy Hour, we've got a guest joining us, Evan Morgenstein. Evan has a 28-year career as an entrepreneur who knows how to innovate and outpace impending doom and gloom. His first company, PMG Sports, repped athletes and celebs. Celeb experts focused on consulting brands and companies, and his latest firm, the Digital Renegades, reps some of the most successful influencers in food, fitness, nutrition, and beauty. Evan, welcome to Digital Marketing Happy Hour.
2: God, that's a good CV. I, I, I want to hang out with that guy. It's impressive.
0: It's <laughs> impressive. So, listen, before we get started, no happy hour is complete without a few beverages. What do you drink, yeah. or what's your go-to drink?
2: Uh, I drink Southern Comfort on the rocks, double, tall, no fruit, no straw, don't bother me. But I drink. It's all I drink. And you know what? The great thing about ordering Southern Comfort I found, and I've, I've ordered this you know, for 30 years all over the world, is every time I order it, the someone at the bar, usually the bartender, gives me a face like, yeah, I threw up drinking that once. It's so awesome. I always
1: <laughs> have someone that's got a bad story about drinking Southern Comfort. So it, it entertains you, me. Okay. So in that case, because I'm like that too with tequila. I, I like tequila. I drink it. Every time I talk to somebody, it feels like I can't do it. I threw up, whatever. Do you have a drink that's like that where you just can't touch it? You can't smell it. I'll drink anything. (laughs) I'll drink anything. You know, look, when you've been on the road for as long as
2: I have, I've been on the road since I was 20 years old. So I've been in every bar in almost every state in America okay. and around the world. And, you know, it's like if you can't go on certain like business trips or conferences and hold your you know crap together, then, you know, you're not going to get a lot done. In fact, I get a lot done and I don't need a golf course that I can handle it in a bar.
1: I like it now here, let's go into that real quick before. How do you see with things happening now where there is that, you know, removal of, Hey, let's just meet at a bar at such and such time. We don't have to be on the course and we can talk. You see in that there's that vacuum.
2: Yeah, no, it sucks. Well, well, you know, what's interesting is 10 years ago, you stopped meeting people in person and doing deals with them. You you just, you know, you, you got on the phone, you did a Skype call, like whatever it was and you got deals done and you figured it out. And then after the fact, if you were in the city that they were in, you'd call them and tell them you're coming in and you, you know, you'd have a drink after the fact today I have a hundred percent of the people that I'm doing deals with. I don't even know what country they're in. It's I I don't even know half the new emails I get from my clients. Have some Chinese writing on the top of it. I don't know who I'm talking to. I don't know if it's a Mister or a Miss. I don't know. I don't know anything. I don't know anything. Uh, you know what? As long as the money gets wired to my account, I love them all. <laughs> I love them all.
1: <laughs> Chris, Chris, what are you drinking?
0: Uh, I'm repping Boston tonight, man. I just went with a, a simple Sam Adams. What about you?
1: I am. I like the Mexican drink. So it's kind of funny. I guess we we're just talking about tequila. You know, one of my go-to, especially summertime, I like the Modelo Especial, Uh, sometimes with lime, eh, sometimes without the lime, no fruits. So sounds like we got our beverages in hands. So again, uh, he's Chris Casale, along with Evan Morgenstein. I'm Ryan Smith. Thank you for joining us this week on Digital Marketing Happy Hour. Uh, Real quick, if you're new to the podcast or even a repeat listener, thanks for listening. Uh, you should know by now, for the repeat listeners, digital marketing is a passion of ours, and we know you're going to enjoy this episode and get a lot of value out of it. Our goal is to help your business achieve results so you can reach your goals. So, Evan, catching yes, you up. Talk to me. Tell me what you need. I <laughs> want. I
2: want to. I want to be the guru of good for you guys. What do you guys need? What can I help you? What can I help educate the new and the and the existing, you know, listeners? What can we give them that they don't know like to me that's why i'm so excited to talk to you guys because i feel like you've got a lot of listeners that are just leaning into this podcast and i, I want to make sure when they're
1: done they're like yeah i get that you, you know it, this is perfect timing because the last couple episodes we talked a lot about uh social proof the importance of authenticity in your messaging. And obviously, you know, especially after we had a great conversation, you know, before this recording with you, you spent a lot of time with influencers. So can you just share a little bit with our audience uh, a little bit about your backstory? Because we're really interested in learning more about that whole micro influencers. Uh, We often talk about the importance of knowing your audience, the different segments that are within your audience. And I think all of this just aligns.
2: Sure. So so look, uh, not to go too far back, I'll just go f- as far back as when I got into influencer marketing. So about seven and a half, eight years ago, I signed my first two YouTubers and they were fitness YouTubers, really nice ladies. I got one a TV show, I got one a book deal and a couple other things. And, you know, like most of these relationships, it ended at some point who I couldn't even remember, not only why, but I, I can't even remember their names. But anyway, that happens. And, but the next client I signed was Jen Selter at Jen Selter on Instagram. She's one of the largest fitness influencers on social media. And she was really the OG of posting fitness content on Instagram. And, you know, I learned so much. Like the day I showed up, I learned, first of all, that no matter how big you are at that point, you were doing bad deals. I learned that contracts that you signed were screwing you. And I learned that it wasn't really a business yet. It was sort of like a hobby. I learned that, right? Like real quickly. And because my background was representing NBA basketball players, Olympic athletes, Chris and Bruce Jenner, like all kinds of people of note and reputation. I'm like, we got to change this. You've got the size and power of your audience to be respected like a true celebrity. And so I changed Jen's business. Therefore, you know, we've changed the business of marketing for influencers because there weren't a lot of people that were representing influencers when I got into this thing. You know, there may have been a couple that like ancillarily had one or two, but there weren't a lot of people that were thinking about like influencers as a significant investment and putting you know, a, a piece of your budget towards it. It was like throwaway stuff, right? We'll test. Everybody wants a test, but nobody has a good test. Anyway, so we started doing that. And, you know, I built Jen's business into a multi-million dollar business. She's an equity owner in FitPlan app, which FitPlan app is really the hottest fitness app uh, available on either uh, Apple or, or uh, Android. She's a equity owner in BlendJet. BlendJet is the fastest growing home appliance in the world. Like we scored, man. Like I saw the opportunity for Jen to be unique in fitness and health and lifestyle and food. All came together at Jen Selter, and we just knocked it out of the park. And what happened is it spawned an industry. And there's so many other people, mostly women, right, in the fitness industry on social media that are just killing it. I mean, just killing it. And, you know, look, I look at, you know, TikTok, which is the sort of new hot platform as sort of where I saw Instagram five, six, seven years ago. It's just starting to percolate. You're just starting to see longer term deals with people that are exclusively on TikTok or their biggest audiences on TikTok because companies are starting to realize like, okay, I think I can figure out how to make money on this. right? Because that's what it's all about. I always tell people you're either an artist or you're an art salesperson. You either sell a shit or you look at it, and I'm an art salesperson. So I've got to find opportunities for companies that want to spend money. And so I built a business in the influencer marketing space that's unique in a couple of ways because of the position we have in the food space, also fitness, also nutrition. And it's given me an opportunity to have some power and position where normally I'd just be some you know, schlub throwing out opportunities and, and talent trying to get a deal. Now we're actually bringing large companies to bear and doing multiple deals with all my clients. That's not happening anywhere else.
0: You know, so you mentioned these two individuals on YouTube and sort of the way you grow them. There's a lot of players in this space, but obviously there's differentiating factors. And so for those in our audience that are interested in becoming an influencer or those that are looking to engage with one to maybe promote their business, what is it you look for in these influencers, you know, particularly when you're interested in representing them?
2: Can I make money? Right? Like there's plenty of pretty girls out there. There's plenty of great looking guys everyone but me and you guys have abs, right? So it's like, it's not that, It's definitely not that. So it's gotta be, you know, an ability to aggregate an audience that's large enough for a company to want to spend money to hear what you have to say. Otherwise, what do you need me for? Right? You don't need me. You need me if you need me. And that's when it's time that the money starts rolling in. When companies start knocking on your DM, when you start getting emails from corporations, that's when you need me and not a second before, because before, what do you need me for? You're not making any money anyway, but you got to figure out how to grow your audience. You have to figure out how to be professional. You have to figure out how not to be an idiot, right? I see so many idiots on social media. Like, great. Okay. If you want to be an idiot. That's fine. But don't talk about how it's a platform to make money. You're not gonna make any money because you're an idiot. You know, unless a company is looking for an idiot, but I don't have a lot of things that knock on my door saying I'm looking for an idiot. I've got four kids. I I pitched them first. But anyway, so I think the thing is, if you want to be an influencer, you have to make a a serious, serious decision about what is it that you are passionate about, right? It's about passion. You know, I hear people talk about authenticity. You know what? I hear authenticity so much. It makes me want to puke because nobody's authentic. You know, if some company comes along and says, I'm going to offer you a hundred thousand dollars, I don't care what it is. You're like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that deal. Right. So the word authentic is like everybody sort of grows into authenticity. But the thing you can't fake is passion. And so if you're a company looking for people to be the face of your brand or to push your brand, you want passion. If you are a influencer and you want to be found, you want to have passion. Right. So the the word of the day is passion. You need to be passionate or otherwise in this marketplace,
1: you'll never be found. Does frequency of posting and or engagement play that big of a factor on your end of things?
2: Well, only because it makes a difference to the platform. On Instagram, it doesn't necessarily matter, right? So it's not it's not going to specifically uh, increase anything for you if you post multiple times on Instagram. On TikTok, it's a, it's a requirement for the algorithm. So so here here's the here's our first tip of the day that nobody's going to tell you this for free, but we're going to tell you this. So if you're going to post on TikTok and you want to grow your audience, here's some tips. Okay, Number one, do short videos. Why? Because the algorithm evaluates what percentage of your audience watches the entire video. So if you're doing a 15 or 30 second video and 86% of your audience watches the entire video, you're going to start moving up. You're going to start getting followers. You're going to start you know, showing up on the for you page. That's good. That's really good. So do short videos. Second of all, when you're, when you're creating content and you're using hashtags, make sure the hashtags are very, very specific to what you're doing. And I'll give you a great example. So let's just say I'm a, I'm a cook, right? I'm a home cook and I've got people that follow me because they love what I cook. And let's say I cook all Italian. Okay. So I'm doing chicken parm today, fellas. And I'm gonna, I'm whip it up. I'm gonna edit it. It's gonna be a beautiful video. And now I'm gonna do my hashtags. If I do hashtag food porn, because there's 3.9 billion, you know, views of or usages of hashtag food porn, that's not gonna get you anywhere. You're better off putting in hashtag favorite recipe. Hashtag cook at home because the algorithm is looking for something very specific to what you're actually creating in content because there's a lot of AI involved in this. Right. So artificial intelligence. So for three or four years, all TikTok did was learn. It learned it learned what you do. It learns your you know, where you go from here to there, how long and what kind of content you you view, because they want to know what you are specifically doing so they can feed it to people that are actually out there. Looking for chicken parm or looking for Italian food or looking for dinner, right? Or looking for something you can, you know, recipe you can get and cook at home. So it's very, very technical when it comes to that. And then really the the third thing is when you're creating content on TikTok, and especially if you're a brand, here's what happens on Instagram. You're like, I got to get an Instagram uh, post on your feed because that's where most people will see it. And I got to get a swipe up. Okay. That's what I'm going for on Instagram. Boom. Boom. On TikTok, what we found is even though you have a lot more followers that are going to see your content on your main feed, the the special sauce of TikTok is the live because your super fan is going to come to the live. The people that are going to go to the website and buy your product, they're coming to the live. And plus, you can run an amazing show on your live, right? Like, you can do anything you want. So, like, if I'm working for Fashion Nova and they sent me a boatload of clothes... Well, guess what? I'm going to do a, an unboxing right there on my live, just like we're sitting there in a Macy's together, right? If I'm working with Blendjet and I get my Blendjet, I'm going to take it out of the box. I'm going to show people how to use it, how to what to put in it, how to wash it. Like it's your it's your HV, you know, H uh, Home Shopping Network, or your QVC. That's what the live is. The power of the live on TikTok is massive, and also they want you to do lives two or three times a week. A week that's a lot of lives that's a lot of content and also they want you to post anywhere from three to six or seven times a day I, literally I mean I'm not an influencer but I post literally six or seven times a day six or seven times a day because that's what it requires for you to be relevant and that's what they want they want to judge relevancy if you're just like eh, you know I post once a week you're not going anywhere if you really want to make a move and if you're a brand really looking to work with people that are reaching an audience, You've got to be able to do that. And I'll, I'll give you some just really interesting anecdotal data if I could. So if you're an Instagram um, person and you have 5 million followers, and let's say you're like a fitness woman, you know, a like 20-something-year-old fitness woman, and you're a decent-looking woman, I guarantee you have 60%, 70% guys, which, by the way, sucks, because guys are unmonetizable for women. You can't make any money from dudes. So it's a, it, on Instagram, it kills you. For whatever reason, however they did it on TikTok, that same woman is probably going to have 60, 70% women and maybe closer to 80% or more. And so now that makes you very viable in the marketplace. In addition to that, on Instagram, they're basically fighting with you for ad dollars if you're an influencer. Why? Because that's what they do. They want to make ad dollars. So instead of giving you full access, not having an algorithm that's really you know killing you, they give every post maybe 10%, 15% of your audience has access to it and it's not in chronological order. So if you post today and post tomorrow and post the next day, you may not get it in that order. And that may really mess up a story you're doing for a corporation. You know, one, two, three, it may look out of order and it really screws you up. But if you buy advertising on the back end of your account or the company does for Instagram, well, then, you know, you can do whatever you want. You'll get 100% of your audience and it will be in chronological order. See, they're forcing you to buy ads on TikTok is an example when you post what, what the algorithm of the of the TikTok platform does is it actually pushes your content out to more people so I have a client her name is Cassidy Thompson and, and her account is Cassidy underscore underscore and the letter T 4.9 million followers 21 years old former gymnast gymnastics teacher beautiful girl lives in Atlanta Georgia works with you know Procter and Gamble and companies like that and when she does a post so just to give you an example, for the month the last month i just looked at her data before i came on for the last month the last 28 days remember she has 4.9 million followers exactly going to be 5 million this weekend so i say 5 million but this past 28 days her content's been seen by over 65 million people so think about that so the platform is pushing her content out to six seven eight times the number of followers that she has so if you're a brand even though you're afraid of TikTok tock you know whatever the the government's gonna shut it off or you don't understand it or it doesn't have swipe ups which is just a lazy person's way of trying to make money yeah you know you're like okay TikTok doesn't make any sense to me but the reason why you want to make sense is look at the amount of traffic it's creating for your content if you work with the right influencer it's massive I mean, there's no competition between Instagram and and uh, TikTok when it comes to delivering an audience beyond what that follower has, or excuse me, that influencer has the following.
0: In your opinion, is Instagram oversaturated with influencers, and do you think TikTok is there yet? I don't
2: think that that's even an issue. I, I think I think an influencer only exists because people want to see them. So I don't think there's ever an oversaturation, because even if you know there's 10 million people in the food space, or or Health and fitness. Everyone's going to do it their own way, so I don't think there's ever an issue of oversaturation. I, I think it's about how the companies that run these platforms handle their relationship with the influencers. To, to just add on to what I was saying, you know, my client Jen Selter at one point somebody stole access to her account. We could. This is Jen Selter. I mean, this is like a this is a big dog, right? She's an OG. She, we couldn't even get anybody on the phone from Instagram. They're like, deal with it yourself. Okay. On TikTok, every one of my clients has an account rep. Every one of my clients is told what hashtag is going to trend. Every one of my clients has had opportunities to actually do deals with brands through TikTok. How cool is that? Right? Like, so it's about how you view the influencer. You know, Mark Zuckerberg had an opportunity, and I said this as soon as I signed Jen. I said, if this guy had any brains, not saying he's stupid, but if he had any brains, he would have figured out how to sign a deal with every influencer and guarantee them all 12-month guaranteed salaries or revenue. And uh, for that, he would own 100% of the advertising from the influencers. But he didn't do that. He ended up going to war. And what happened is all the influencers are like, yeah, I got an account, can't grow it on Instagram. I'm going to TikTok. Yeah, I'll leave my. I'll, I'll tell people to go to my Instagram. That's cool. But at the end of the day, I spend my time on TikTok. And what you're seeing now is the content on Instagram is actually just TikToks being forwarded to Instagram. Oops, that's what you get. You get everybody else's trash. You you just, you got to treat people differently. It's, uh, that's my, that's my honest to God feeling and being in this business. I don't feel like Instagram really treats the influencers with any respect. I think TikTok treats the influencers with a level of respect. I don't think I've
0: seen. So that's a good segue because I was, I wanted to ask you, A lot of professionals, maybe not a lot, but some professionals put all their eggs, you know, a.k.a. content into one specific social platform. We spent a lot of time talking about Instagram and TikToks. What are your thoughts on that strategy? Do you see that as the right way to go or is there a danger in that? Like TikTok in particular is under some scrutiny right now. And so if there's changes there, what, what does that mean potentially for these influencers?
2: Well, there's two answers to that. First of all, when it comes to platforms, you should be agnostic. If one's working better, then spend more time with it, right? It's like, it's like your children. If you have a gifted child, he's probably going to have to take a little bit more of your time. Doesn't mean you love the other ones any less, just means it's going to take more time. So you should be on any platform. You can get any kind of traction. It's a business, you know, at the end of the day, this is a business. And if you're, if you're, if you're a business person that only sells to one client, uh, you're a fool, right? You're a fool. So of course you should be on multiple platforms. You're just going to have different success because the content is different and the delivery is different. And I tell people all the time, if you bring your Instagram game over to TikTok, it's going to suck. Cuz it's a different platform. It's a different kind of content, it's a different vibe, it's a different requirement, it's a, it's a different everything. So you should have a YouTube. Uh, you know, you should have a YouTube account and create really long-form content on YouTube because it's monetizable. Long-form content like YouTube has great value. Because you're real, the people that are watching it tend to be really, really high-end customers, and so companies pay more for those high-end customers. To be honest with you, so YouTube you have to have Twitter. I, I could care less if Twitter went out of business tomorrow. I wouldn't even know. I stopped using Twitter five years ago. I couldn't stand the noise. I don't even know what people talk about there. The only thing I know is the president's on Twitter. Other than that, I can't tell you what's going on Twitter. You know, and I don't think anybody goes. I don't think anybody's advertising to people under 35 years old on Twitter. Maybe they are, but I don't see it because um, I'm not on it. So Twitter is irrelevant. Snapchat, I don't know. I think Snapchat's like Tinder on crack, right? Like, you know, that's how people use Snapchat. If you if you want to hook up, go to, go to Snapchat. Other than that, I don't know how much of a, you know, business platform it is. I've heard companies use it before, but I haven't heard companies rave about it. If you're a woman over the age of 28, especially if you're a mom, I, I honestly think Pinterest is still very viable. They've made some significant changes there and you can aggregate a very good audience more than 70 percent of the audience on pinterest are women so if you're a brand you should be thinking about pinterest so you know what i'm saying so you should definitely diversify depending on who you are and what you're trying to do and you know if you're an auto mechanic i don't think you should be on pinterest I just don't think you should be on pinterest I don't think it's the place for you to go so you have to figure out where your opportunity and audience is so that's the first thing the second thing is this entire episode if, if anybody learns anything from from me, it's that if you work with influencers and you're not constantly working on trying to create a sales funnel, you're so stupid because that's what it's about. Like, think about it like Amazon. If I'm a, if I'm a brand and I'm selling through Amazon, I may be acquiring sales, but I'm not acquiring customers. Right. Amazon owns that relationship. I don't ever know who my customer is. I just get a check. Right. I just get a check. So when it comes to social media, you don't want the same experience. You want to, you want to aggregate a customer. So you want to try and figure out what ways you can get people's email address, because the more email addresses you have for viable people that are warm, warm warming, you know, you can potentially get them to buy something. That's what this is all about. Unless you just want to be here to talk and that's fine, but then that's not really what we're talking about. But if you want to be an influencer and you want to have, you know, true authority and advice that matters and the ability to get people to make decisions. Well, then you got to figure out how to sell them. And just doing posts is repetitious, if not redundant. And there's a level of, of uh, authenticity you can get to, but there's also a wall that, that you can't get to. Y- there's no live events, right? So if someone can't come out and meet you. So if you have a, somebody's email address, you have a much more intimate way to interact with them. Whether it's you get their cell phone and, you know, you're using a text app or if it's an email address and you're sending them a newsletter or whatever it is, you want to take them down the the road of being not only a fan of yours, but a friend and a customer and somebody that trusts you. And so I think those things are just hugely, hugely important, right? Hugely important that you've got to build a sales funnel. And if you're a company, you should expect that. You should say, We're, you know, tell me about your sales funnel or tell me about the multiple platforms you're on because I want to be able to see the whole thing. You know, the problem in the marketplace is, and I say this with all due respect, is most of the people that I either negotiate with or end up working with are not that bright. It's not that they're not smart. They just they haven't taken the time to learn what's really going on on the platforms. So they're they're up there in the pearly gates of the office. And they hear things from the twenty-four-year-old interns or whatever. And, you know, they go on their conference calls and they go to a few conferences now, virtual conferences. And so they think they're, you know, they picked up a few things and they think they're experts in it. Because they were directors of marketing for companies 10 years ago. I'm telling you that that is not transferable knowledge. You know, you have to learn today about what's going on today, or otherwise you're you're gonna just be talking and people are gonna know. Like you don't know that people know, but trust me, people know, you don't know what you're doing. I had, I'm going to tell you right now, I won't tell you the brand. I wish I could because I just got a nasty letter, but, but this brand came up with the stupidest execution ever. And I, I begged them not to do this. They wanted to do several lives on their own con on their own platform, right? Not even on the social media platform of the clients. And the reason they wanted to do that was they wanted you know, it was their responsibility to generate sales. Well, guess what? The deal just ended and they wrote like a nasty snarky letter saying that they didn't, you know, the clients didn't convert any sales. I said, look, what are the contract? You're the one that wrote the contract, and you're the one that didn't want them to post on their own account. So who's the fool? So you see what I'm saying? Like, this is what I deal with all day long. I'm I'm, I'm literally like a, a business therapist, and I'm trying to convince people not to commit corporate suicide because they've got such stupid ideas that are absolutely non-monetizable that they're so convinced they're going to work. And, and oh, by the way, in, in that regard, let's talk about micro-influencers because that is the... That's the holy grail of stupidity. I see these companies doing these these micro-influencer programs, which, by the way, let's just be honest with each other, shall we? A micro-influencer is a micro-entrepreneur. That's all they are. They're just entrepreneurs that are trying to figure it out. They're good people. They're trying real hard. They probably have one or more jobs. They're just trying to make some extra scratch. It's a side hustle. But man, wouldn't they love to do it full time? And these companies talk to them like they're indentured servants. Like, screw you. These are human beings, right? Like, don't talk about them like, oh, we'll throw them 10%. You know what? Your 10% doesn't mean shit. And the other part about that 10% is when you offer somebody a crap deal, what kind of work do you think you're going to get out of that? You think they're going to invest anything in you? You think they're going to go above and beyond for you because you gave them nothing? Right? No chance. So I think the market's changing. I I think the, the micros are getting smart. They realize that they have a great relationship with their smaller audiences, and a lot of them are just saying, you know what, I'm going to start you know, picking and choosing who I want to work with, and I'm not going to just take every deal because it sounds like I got a chance to make some money, because their, their customers, their followers are getting a little inundated and tired of just being slapped with ads all the time that don't even make any sense. So I think the market is starting to mature, and the maturity is going to lead to better decisions, but it's also going to cost more. And, and you know, I'll give you a great example of this. So I had a company, again, this is one of these companies, I have no idea what country it is. And all I know is it says marketing department in the email address and it doesn't give a name. So go figure. Maybe it was a bot. I don't know. I'm arguing with a bot. This is what kind of loser I am. It's three o'clock in the morning and I'm arguing with a bot. But anyway, so the point is I'm going back and forth on emails and they're like, well, we don't want to spend this kind of money because it's a test. And I'm like, okay, let's just get this straight. You have no knowledge on TikTok. I've got clients with massive audiences on TikTok. You want to test it and I'm supposed to take less money. Uh, no, no, no. Well, like, you know what? You're going to go pay some stupid group of idiots to consult you on less than what my clients already know because they're in it every day. They live it and breathe it. And you want me to take less money because you're testing? No, no, no. You pay us more because you are you have no experience. You don't pay us less. What a, what a miscalculation. And I hear it all the time. Everybody thinks it's cheaper because they want to test. No, like you don't know anything. You know nothing. I know a lot more than you know. My clients know a lot more than you know. You want our expertise? Great. It comes at a cost. Or otherwise, you're just going to be out there jerking around with all these people that just sold you because they're good at SEO marketing. And you find them on a Google search and all of a sudden they're your experts. And how many of those have you gone through? Good luck.
0: I think you just hit on some major key points there. And it's one of the central themes of this podcast that we talk about constantly is knowing your audience, which includes not just knowing who they are, but knowing where they live, work and play, which includes the social media platforms that you just talked about. And we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, the sort of those, those subgroups or those microgroups within. That live on those platforms and they belong to like Facebook groups or or subsets that really aligns with their interests and their hobbies and whatnot. I'm curious. Social media is sort of an interesting marketing strategy, and the reason I say that is you mentioned how you know you've got sort of these old school marketing directors that come in and they go to a conference and they want to apply one tactic. It. If you're looking at it from the sales funnel, it is absolutely impossible to put one message out on social media and move somebody from the very top of the funnel to the very bottom of the funnel and close them in one fell swoop. So I feel like you see a lot of mistakes with the way people are engaging on these social media platforms. What are some of the things you see that you advise your clients against to avoid making that, that, that same mistake, to avoid it being sort of a hard sales pitch in that environment?
2: So I'll give you a great example. So we did a group license deal with Dano seasoning D a N hyphen O apostrophe S they're like the hottest seasoning brand on social media because they're cool and they're fun. And the guy Dano is from Louisville, Kentucky, and he's just a crack up man. And some of the people they have as spokespeople are just cool and crazy and fun. And it's just, it's, it's like, I don't know any way to say it, but it's like a shit show. But it's a fun group of people, and they're really, really engaging. And so they signed a group license deal. Every one of my 10 chefs, cooks, and bakers have a deal with Danos. And the first month, my cats didn't produce all that much. And I got in touch with all of them, and I sent them a voice note because, you know, we're all tied together, group chats and stuff like that. And I said, listen, guys, stop selling. It looks like a really, really bad commercial. I said, just use the product. Just talk about it. I didn't hear any of you tell anybody how good it tasted. I use the stuff. I think it tastes great. Like, tell people you, you love the flavor if you love the flavor. Or because it's low sodium, you love the fact that it's low sodium. The fact that it's got virtually no ingredients in it that are, you know, chemically based or, you know, laden. And it's just a, you know, really good pure product. And you love putting it on anything. Your eggs, your steak, your chicken, whatever. And just show people how you use it you know pop pop you grab the bottle and you, you, you squeeze it and it's like uh, pulling the trigger on a gun and they were all like oh oh i get it so you see what i'm saying like it's it's trying to move away from being like the best salesperson you can to more about showing really organically how you use a product and and how it's just part of your life so here's what i told all my clients this is sort of interesting again this is why i'm a little bit of a different agent. I asked every single one of them to watch the Emeril Lagasse air fryer infomercial because there's nobody better in this world ever, ever, ever about making something as simple as a draw that pulls out with oil in it. Sound like it's the greatest thing ever than Emeril Gossie. He is that guy. He is awesome. He's awesome. man. I watched that guy and I'm like, Oh my God, I think I'm going to buy it just because the the oil ducked. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> yeah, I swear to God, like, he's so good. He uses big words. He says nothing. I love that, but he's great at it. And then I said, number two, find a time on your television, which by the way, I have to ask all my clients at have TVs because so many people don't have TVs anymore, but they all have TVs. They're all old enough to have TVs. And I said, go find when an hour cooking show is on QVC and watch it. And the reason I say that is because the people that are on the food segment and and other segments too, but I just pay attention to the food. They're so good at making you feel like they just invited you into their home that they're not selling you anything. What they're doing is they're actually giving you an opportunity to get something that you're already looking for or upgrading something you already had, or, Oh my God, this is limited time. Only you can't go without this. What a price. Ooh. Right. And all of a sudden you're like, you're leaning closer and closer. And your credit card is mysteriously slipping out of your wallet and like, Boom, you just bought 10 things (laughs) like that's how it works. That's the magic, I think, of social media. And I think too many people try too hard to be a salesperson. Don't be a salesperson. Be yourself. I'm a salesperson. I'm in the no business. People tell me no all day long. I deal with that kind of crap. But influencers don't deal with that. And so when they're put in a position to be a salesperson, I tell every company, I'm like, these are not people that went through the Dale Carnegie School of Sales. So don't expect them to be your salespeople. Buy digital advertising to back it up. Make sure there's great content on your website. Use some of their unique content on your social media. Make sure your social media doesn't suck. And utilize them and the reason why their fans love them. Because they're showing them things. They're not selling them things. So it's a very fine line. Because 96% of the deals that I see Our companies, no matter what they say, because they all come in, you know, with their white suits and big smiles, but they all want you to sell something, right? There's nobody in the market looking for branding anymore. Nobody. Everybody wants you to sell stuff. So if they tell you differently, run. They're full of crap.
1: It'd be hard to discuss influencers and sales without talking about the sort of, you know, the elephant in the room, the pandemic that's going on. What impact have you seen just with COVID-19 on influencers? Is this something that is actually could propel that micro-influencers or become a hindrance?
2: Listen, I am somebody that has been quarantining in my house with my, my family. We've gone out very infrequently in the last what, four months. I take this thing seriously, right? Like, like people are dying and people have died. And it's a very sad thing. And having said that, I've never, ever had a more incredible rush of business than I've had since this thing started, because here's, here's what, here's what's happened. The retail infrastructure in the United States is what I consider to be a dinosaur. I've been screaming and writing content on LinkedIn for two years now that the retail segment, the commercial retail segment is going to follow the home retail segment in 07 and 08. And it's going to crumble. And the reason is, and if you haven't experienced this, thank God and God bless you. But if you've been to a mall in the last five years, what a horrific experience. you got to park somewhere. You don't know if someone wants to beat you up. You don't know if someone's going to try and steal your radio. You don't know if, if you're going to even get to the right side of the mall with the store you want to be in. Or you're going to walk all the way across the mall. You may want to go get something to eat and the food there sucks. Like the whole setup of a mall, you're spending hours, hours. It, you know, it's like buying a car. You ever buy a car and they're like, yeah, yeah, we're going to get you out of here real quick. And six hours later, you're like, oh my God, put a vein in my needle in my vein and get me out of here. Right. It's just a horrible experience. Malls are a horrible experience. So retail sucked anyway, but then the pandemic comes and everybody shuts their doors and we all are hibernating like bears. And so what happens? Retailers are, they're going under JC Penney, right? Well, who's JC Penney? You don't think Macy's is going out of business? Macy's is going out of business. Best Buy, they're probably going out of business. Bed Bath & Beyond, they've already been through bankruptcy, right? On and on and on and on. Why? Because people found they can get anything they want online. What the heck do you have to go to a store for? What a horrible experience, especially when we're dealing with something where, you know, contact can actually get you sick and sick to the point where you could die. So is that worth it? No. Let it come to your door and then Kleenex it or whitewash it or whatever you you do to it. So the, the way that we buy products changed. And so as soon as the the you know true demographics and and execution of buying product changed in the United States everybody said what direct to consumer and then they said well how do we get the most influence direct to consumer it's not buying a celebrity it's getting influencers and influencers now are really the next generation of celebrities like make no mistake about it i know people use the word influencer in a pejorative way like they're second class citizens there's a b c d celebrities and influencers nonsense nonsense the fact is most of the celebrities are living off their past fame right how many celebrities are still relevant because of the thing they just did name for me the last three movies that sylvester stallone did uh, i have no idea rambo 40 maybe right like you just don't remember that stuff right so they're they're (laughs) celebrities because of what they did in the past but i'll tell you what influencers are celebrities because what they're doing today so do you want to take a financial risk on somebody who hasn't done anything in a long time and maybe their audience doesn't care right or do you want somebody that every day is working on growing their audience like think of it this way I, i have this conversation all the time so let's just say for the sake of discussion your demographic is you know I don't know, uh, you know, 25 to 35 year old guy, girl, whatever, doesn't matter. Disposable income, second, third job, whatever, urban, suburban, that's who it is. Are you going to go get an influencer or are you going to go get a celebrity? Let's say an athlete, right? Athletes are cool. I used to work with a lot of them. Are you going to go get somebody that spends 99.9% of their time winning a championship Are you going to go find somebody that they're going to spend 99.9% of their, their time doing exactly what you need them to do? I'd say, uh, hold on, hold on. It's coming. Yeah. Influencer. That's the fact, right? Like athletes are overpaid, overpriced. And at this point, a pain in the ass to deal with influencers are like, Hey, what can I do for you? How do I make you happy? And I want to stay with you for a very long time. Where do you want to be? What kind of business do you want to run? Who do you want to be surrounded by? Who's going to perform for you? Who's going to do make goods? Listen, no disrespect, because I don't represent him and I don't know who does, but I'm just saying hypothetically, if Aaron Judge does a post on his social content and it doesn't do that well, you think he's doing a make good? Ah, probably not. You know, it just doesn't work that way. Because Aaron Judge is, uh, sorry, uh, I'm not near my phone. Celebrity have their ass kissed. Influencers are here to stay. So they have to be addressed the right way. They have to be paid accordingly. And they will produce at a level that, you know, they're not used to with these celebrities. You, you know, now you look at the celebrity business and it's a it's a crapshoot, right? Because you if you're going to get one, you can only afford one. But with that same amount of money, I can get you 15 influencers. And now you're probably going to find five to seven influencers that knock it out of the park at a level even beyond that athlete. So you, it's just about making a decision of how you're going to allocate your resource what does the program look like? And really, what are you trying to accomplish in the long run? And who gives you the best chance of doing that?
0: No, I think that's a great point. Never really thought about it like that. Is there anything that you would tell brands about working with influencers?
2: I tell brands because I consult brands and I also obviously take brands money. But I tell every one of them. I don't care which side of the, I'm on the deal. I tell them the only word that matters for you is patience. If you have no patience, you are going to suck at this. And if you have patience along with a good idea and a strong constitution, then you're going to be successful. You just got to be a little patient. There is no, I mean, there are unicorns, the Kardashians and Jenners, they're unicorns, right? But they're only a few unicorns. So don't think that you're going to generate what a unicorn generates because it's just not realistic. It's a unicorn. So go back to the following, the the thought process of working hard every day and building a community where people want to go and you're going to get so much opportunity.
0: So, Evan, one of the segments we have on the show, we call it Keep It Light. And essentially, we've all been in quarantine for months, as you you mentioned. What are you binge watching on Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu or whatever or reading these days?
2: So I got rid of Netflix because I was getting yelled at by my kids that I just wasn't watching enough of it. So I... I dumped it. I'm a, i am I read, I'm a, I'm a ravenous reader. I read a lot of news. Cause I feel like I'm a politically astute guy. I, I am a business owner. So I need to be up on what's going on in the world of business. You know, I have to follow the trends. I mean, when I see something popping on, you know, CNBC or Fox, then I send it to somebody in my company and say, Hey, go after this company because it looks like they're doing well. They have money. Then, you know, they're well spent, but in terms of just like relaxing since there's no sports, which really sucks is two things. One, I'm seeing, like, lots of old sports, which reminded me of my childhood. And memories, excuse me, in sports are always a good thing. So I saw uh, the thriller in Manila not too long ago with Ali and Frazier. Oh, my God, that was great. I saw Duran Leonard. I saw Leonard Hagler, you know, fighters in the 80s. Um, I watched uh, 1978 uh, Yankees playoff game. So that's cool. And then in terms of shows that are on now, look, it goes between three things. I watch a lot of news. I watch Fox and MSNBC because I like seeing both sides. You know, I'm independent by nature, and so I want to make my own decision. Um, Number two, I love American Pickers because my parents were in the antique business. So my whole life I grew up around antiques. So I love American Pickers because it reminds me of, you know, my, my childhood, and I had a pretty good childhood. And then the third thing I like to watch is is uh, the Oak Island show like they're looking for that treasure in Oak Island. Like I want to get a shovel and go see go hang out with these guys like if they find treasure in Oak Island, Canada, then I want to be there when they pull it up because they're talking about like the Ark of the Covenant or maybe William Shat- uh, Shatner William Shakespeare's <laughs> lost lost manuscripts like I love that crap man. And they never find it. they never find anything. It's like Al Capone's vault. We're all stupid because we keep watching it. But I'm hooked, man. Anytime they tell me there's some kind of great antiquity, I'm still looking for King Tut's brother. You know, like we'll find him. He's there. I think he's in Chicago this week, actually. I saw the
0: first <laughs> season of that show on Netflix, and I started watching it. And I- I'm with you, man. Every time they're like, "This is the episode," and it never is. And I saw a news article the <laughs> other day that's like, "The brothers found something," and I'm like, "I'm not stupid. I'm not. I'm not getting hooked by this." Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. You know what they found? They found a shovel
1: they lost. (laughs) All right, Evan, thank you so much. This really was great. For any of our listeners who want to learn more about you, where can they go find you at? Uh, Let me give you my address. No, I'm just kidding. Um,
2: LinkedIn's the best, right? LinkedIn's always the best. Or you know, you can send me an email if you're interested, ev- Evan at CelebExperts.com. I'm not afraid of giving my email out. It's okay. Um, and yeah, LinkedIn's a great place as well. And and you know, look, whether it's just idle conversation on you know information, I, I dig that. You know, like lots of people gave me opportunities in this business by spending time with me. That they didn't have to, and I find that I do a lot of that as well because. It's sort of in my heart to try and give people great information, even if it has no benefit specifically to me. I, I just think sharing knowledge is the greatest gift we can have. And you know the fact that we spend too much time as a society yelling at each other instead of talking to each other, it makes me sick because I love learning and I love helping other people
0: learn. Well, you added a ton of value for our audience today, and we sincerely appreciate you taking the time to be on the show.
2: Well, oh, thanks so much. You guys are awesome, man. I look, I got to keep learning so I can come on again. I don't want you to think like I haven't gotten any smarter. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, we definitely love to have you back if you're open to it.
1: hundred oh, percent. Yeah, yeah
2: definitely. Great... Thanks so much, guys. You guys have hey, a great thanks, day. Evan.
1: Wow, Chris, what did you think of Evan? I mean, I love his energy that he brings, a lot of knowledge, a lot of insights. You know, we've talked to him now a couple of times. And personally, I'm just kind of blown away each time we talk with him.
0: You're not kidding. Was that fun or what? I mean, we always said the purpose of this podcast was it's like the two of us hanging at a bar just talking marketing. And I can't imagine a better picture of what that would be like than the interview we just had. What what a blast and what a ton of useful, actionable information. So grateful to Evan for that.
1: Yeah, and, and we already mentioned it, but uh, we're going to find a way to bring Evan back again. So uh, uh, looking forward to uh, to that. Now, let's transition to our Keeping It Lights. Anything, Chris, you you have that you're reading or watching or listening to?
0: Yeah, so I'm, I'm listening to an Audible one this week. It's an Audible original called uh, The Space Race. And uh, basically, in order to mark the 50th anniversary of the 1969 moon landing, uh, it's basically a drama documentary series that talks about you know the past present and future of the exploration of space and and what i love about it too is that it's mostly narrated by kate mulgrew but it's actually got a full cast which i really love audiobooks that they bring in a lot of different people to to kind of voice the different parts really makes it a lot of fun and it's been an enjoyable listen what about you ryan
1: no, I agree with that. I, you know, it's funny. The uh, I'm an Audible listener as well, and I never really listened to any of those originals that they have. So it's it's I, I like that too with the space race. I'll definitely have to uh, to check that out. Me, on the other hand, I am kind of going back to the hard copy reading a book, which is funny. Uh, starting this work from home, I'm actually reading more. You know, hard copy books. So it's, it's kind of a flip for me, and I'm listening actually to less audibles. I do listen to them, but just a lot less. I guess I'm not in the car nearly. It's what I used to. So what I'm reading right now is a, a book that came out in 2020. It's called The Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas. Uh, the author is Melanie Dezeel, I believe is how she says it. Could be Melanie dazel I'm going to say Melanie Dezeel. Um Sorry if I butchered her last name. It's D-E-Z-I-E-L. What's great about this book that I've, I've really found, it's, you know, as a digital marketer, you know, we've been in this space for a while. Me personally, I have been in this for about 15 years now. And one thing I've always struggled with is coming up with new content story ideas. Reading this book, for me, it just, it kind of helps connect the dots and really kind of creating this matrix of just non, you know, stop unlimited ideas for pushing out content with, you know, the podcast we have, a blog that we have at Araxum, our social media accounts. So for me, uh, I'm not completely finished with it. But, you know, already about halfway through and I'm just I'm loving it. So for me, uh, I think it's very relatable to our audience of digital marketers, the content fuel framework. So go check it out. I think everybody out there is going to like it. Well, we'd like to hear from you. Please let us know if there's something that you loved, anything on the podcast that you might have disagreed with. Let us know. The best way to do it is a couple of ways. First, reach out to us by email. Go to podcast at araxam.com. Again, that's podcast at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. Also, find us on social media. Hit me up on LinkedIn. Do a search, Ryan Smith Marketing, or you can always look for Araxam, and you'll find both Chris and I there. And of course, Twitter, Instagram, Ryan Smith, F-L-A. R-Y-A-N-S-M-I-T-H-F-L-A.
0: And I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at RealChrisCasale. That's R-E-A-L-C-H-R-I-S-C-A-S-A-L-E. And if you haven't done so yet, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. We hope it'll enlighten your day. After all, it's our mom's favorite podcast. And in keeping with our current theme, we hope it's Evan's mom's favorite podcast too now.
1: And on that note, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. This week's episode is brought to you by Araxum.com, your digital resource for marketing and technology. Visit Araxum at A-R-A-X-A-M dot com. The music intro you heard is called Pure Adrenaline by Eddie off the album Too Damn Loud. You can learn more at CactusSlimRecords.com. The music used for closing credits In My Pocket by Jazzer, you can find it on their album Message. Learn more at BetterWithMusic.com. Thank you for listening.